34th Street is an old movie that is a favorite of Gina and I's. We watch it every year. I don't know if you remember it. Maureen O'Hare is the, uh, the star in it. She is the mom and the, uh, the one that runs a, a store down in, in, up in New York City. And you remember the story. There's a man named Chris Kringle. He shows up and they employ him and he's the Santa Claus there. And of course, all kinds of people come to see him. Their revenue is going up and rivals don't like it. And they start a, they start a big campaign against him and eventually ends in court. And, and all of New York is trying to decide whether well, this is Santa Claus or not. And will they believe in him or not? In the middle of the story, Marino Harris says this to her little daughter, says, faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. It's an interesting uh, movie to watch. There's a tremendous amount of faith in it. Do you believe? There's a newer version out that gets really big into believing. Um, you might want to watch it. But there is a difference between faith and sa- saving faith, Right? This morning you're here, you sat in that chair. I didn't see any of you pick it up and make sure it'll hold you. You just sat down. Here's faith. Some of you flew on planes recently. A lot of faith. Uh, think about it. There's faith, right? And that's a common faith. We maybe could call it that. But there is a saving faith. And the question is, what do we base saving faith in? Do you base it in what you think? Do you base it in what the world thinks? Or do we base it in God's word? Well, as Christians, we base our faith in the word of God. In fact, the word of God, the Bible, is considered by Christians to be, now listen to this, the rule of faith and life. All that we believe comes from this book. We believe it to be inerrant. We believe the Holy, Spirit, uh, Holy Scriptures to possess infallible truth that contain divine authority, not human authority, divine authority, having all things necessary to know God's own glory, to know man's sin and need of salvation, to receive faith and life in Christ, so that we believe there is no new revelations or human traditions can be added to it. We believe it contains everything needed. Christians believe that the scriptures are sufficient. It's a beautiful word. They're sufficient. means lacking nothing, adequate, everything we need. They're guided with the Holy Spirit. They bring this entire adequate need, meets every need for every spiritual, emotional need, and are infinitely superior to all human understanding and wisdom, and they are a perfect guide to obedience and life for the Christian. And we believe that. When we come to the story of Joseph and Mary and these other God-ordained characters within this first Christmas story, we believe that God's word is declaring truth to us. And these people that are in this, these men and women that are in this story, there are statements made about them. Their righteousness is declared. Why are they declared righteous people? Why are they pursuing the will of God when very few people would even believe them? What's moving them? Maybe a definition of faith would help. Let me start with the Bible. That's probably the best place to turn to the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith, now listen to this, is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Can I read that again? 
My definition of faith, this is you, this is what you believe. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This young couple in this story had to exercise this. You're pregnant by whom? God, you're going to ask me to do what? They had to believe in one they could not see. The seed of Christ will be placed in your womb, Mary, by the Holy Spirit. God Almighty will overshadow you and place the child there. Hope in what is not seen. Saving faith. Did you see Jesus die on the cross? Were you there? But yet you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of mankind. You believe that only he can bring you to the presence of the Father. And yet you've not seen him. Blessed are those, Peter says. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you realize that? You know, there's a world of people out there trying to please some God of some sort. The Bible says without faith, saving faith is the idea here in the book of Hebrews. You cannot please God. And if you try to come to him any other way, you have an unpleased God who will judge you. That's what the Bible says. It also says, for he who comes, that person who comes to God, must believe that he is, God is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. See, saving faith creates a desire to please God. And that's what you see in this couple. They're not like most of the world. See, saving faith, I want you to get this, because there's so many people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, oh, yeah, yeah, but I live any way I want. Oh, no, no. Saving faith gives you a desire that's not even yours. It's the work of the Spirit. It's, it's something supernatural, something not of you, a desire to please God, to do things despite your circumstances. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 real quick. Another clear, probably the clearest instruction of faith and the work of Christ. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. If I had to take five or six or seven verses, and that's all they would ever give me, and then they were putting me away for life, I would ask for these. There's such tremendous reminders in this text, and this is what the first Christmas was about. Now we know, verse 19 of Romans 3, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that's an interesting statement. That means it's speaking to everyone. Everyone is under the law of God. Now we're going to clarify that that's not the means for salvation, but it's to show you the perfect character of God and that we're all sinners. Follow along. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. That's the role of the law. It's to show you God's perfection and to help us understand that we are accountable to God. And if you think you can keep the law and get to God, you're wrong, verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That means to be declared righteous. You cannot be righteous by striving by the works of the law. One, you'll never keep it. You've broken it just thinking you can. And you won't be justified in his sight. Notice this. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now when you think of law, just don't think of the Ten Commandments. Think of all who God is. 
Think about his character and person, his holiness, his sinlessness. Think about all who he is. Now, verse 21, here we go. Christmas. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that's the character of God, has been manifested. Now that word manifested, you might, in your version might say this, or let me, let me define the, the Greek word for you, is to be made real. The Bible says, apart from the law, remember the law is to show you the perfection of God, show us that we're all sinners. Apart from that, now the righteousness of God has appeared. This is pointing directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see the righteousness of God? You better look into the face of Christ. He's showing us who the righteousness, what the righteousness of God is. And notice this has been witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's all the Old Testament. Everything's been pointing down that God is going to show us how to be righteous before him. The law told us, it showed us, the law was pointing to sacrifices. All of those things that are given in the law all point towards Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all of that. It's all pointing forward because there's no way a man could be justified by the blood of bulls and goats. Somebody had to come, someone who was perfect, who would represent to us and give his own blood. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, now here's, here's our term here, through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, there will be nobody in heaven who is not righteous. You need to understand that. You say, Scott, how do I get there? Because I know, right? You, you know, you're like me. You're a sinner, right? So you go, how do I get there? So the Bible teaches us that no one will be righteous. No one will be in heaven who isn't righteous. And so here we find in this verse, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's, there we go. Now we got righteousness and faith believing in the same phrase here. This is the way to the Father. And notice there is no distinction. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, rich or poor, raised in a pastor's home or raised in church, raised in the streets, it doesn't matter. All who come through the gate of heaven into the presence of God must come through Jesus Christ. They must have his righteousness and they must come through faith. And faith in his righteousness, not your own. Because verse 23 reminds us again that all have sinned. And, and the Bible has to use these words like all because there's always that guy, always that guy out there who says, well, I don't know what he's talking about. Bunch of sinners here. No, no. All of us. Every one of us. Have sinned, and notice we fall short of the glory of God. God has a standard, His perfection. He's righteous in every way. That's the only way you can be in His presence. So we've all fallen short of that. Do you agree with that? I don't think you can, in honesty, look at your life and say, Well, I'm not a sinner. You can try, but I'll ask your wife, <laughs> your children, your co workers, your neighbor, and maybe your dog. And all will confess, we all fall short of the glory of God. But look at verse 14. Oh, here's the answer. But being justified, oh, this is what we need. We need to be declared righteous to spend eternity with God. So being justified, and notice how it comes as a gift by his grace. You can't earn this. You can't pray your way into this. You can't try to live your way in this. You can't try to give your way in this. It's a gift. And if you try to give anything back for that gift, it's no longer a gift, is it? This is a gift from God to be declared righteous by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the redemption, the payment, that comes no other way except through Jesus Christ. 
And notice what God did with this babe in the manger. He gave, he gave him this, he gave the world this gift and he was born in a manger, but he lived, right? And God made a public display of him. Look in verse 25. And here comes that big word of propitiation. He's a propitiating, sacrificing savior. That means he alone had what would satisfy God's wrath against sin. He alone had the ability to satisfy that. And yet today the world wants to be, well, I believe in Jesus and I'm a good person. You and I do not have the ability to satisfy God. Somebody has to do it for us. See, this is, this is why, at least Riverbend, I can't speak of all churches, but Riverbend, we get so excited about singing about Jesus. It's why our music and our preaching and our discipleship's all around him, because without him, we have no hope. Now, notice the verse goes on. It's propitiation in his blood through faith. There it is. That's saving faith. We believe He alone can satisfy the Lord. And he brought his own blood, not my blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. He brought his own, and I believe that by faith. Now, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, not mine, his righteousness, because in forbearance uh, forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. You go, what about all the sins before him? God was holding back. The word in the Greek is a word for a dam. He holds back his wrath while the perfect time comes in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born in law. He held back his wrath on on mankind for his son to come at that appointed time and at that appointed time he dies and God receives his blood for righteousness for all of us in his blood and his finished work on the cross flows all the way back to Adam and flows all the way forward to the last believer that's astounding isn't it that's who's in that manger make no mistake that's who's in that manger And notice verse 26, for the demonstration. God was putting this on worldwide. I don't care if you're an atheist or or you were born in a Christian family. Everybody knows there was a Jesus who died on a hill called Golgotha. There's crosses all over the world. And God demonstrated it. I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be, now look, he would be just and the justifier. He's righteous, that word just or justify, I don't get the word righteous from it. He would be the only one who's righteous to do it and he would be the justifier. He would have the ability to make others righteous of those who have faith in Jesus. Wow, thank you, Jesus. He is our only hope. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, one of my favorite verses says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We're not a law-keeping church. We're not here to come to church so we can go to heaven. We're here because Christ saved us, and we want to adore him. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Bible study after Bible study, discipleship after discipleship, counseling appointment after counseling appointment, we want to adore him. It's the mark of a Christian. 
So when we get to the meaning of Christmas and particularly the incarnation of Christ, that is where everything has to come to that. All the other stuff, all a side note to the incarnation of Christ, that's where matter of faith comes. Do you believe by faith that Jesus is the God-man fully God and fully man, fully God in his perfection, fully man to represent us before the Father. Do you believe that? That's what Christmas is about. There's no other way to him. Otherwise, the biblical account of the birth of Christ is simply just a historical event. It has no eternal value. It's just something nice. Most of the world holds on to that. Well, let me commit you a little forward with three quick thoughts here. One, the gift of righteousness in the birth of Christ. The gift of righteousness in the birth of Christ. Throughout the Bible, the, uh, God's word tells us that there are people who are righteous. You've, you've heard this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, rec- reckoned him to himself as righteous. So throughout the Bible, we find those terms. We find someone that God says is righteous, but God reconciled him to himself. So what it says that that person believed, and you know this scene, Abraham, God brings him out of his tent at night. He's frustrated. He doesn't know how he's going to be this father of many nations. He can't even get his wife pregnant. Doesn't look good on his part. God brings him out of his tent. Look at the stars. Your offspring will be like that. And God plunges faith into Abraham, and he believed, and he received righteousness. Not his righteousness, God's righteousness. Saving faith and righteousness are a gift from God. You would think of Noah, right? This is a really cool term here. I want you to think of this. Genesis 6, 8, 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. That word favor is an amazing thing. You're going to see it with Mary here in a minute. Noah found favor. It's connected to his blamelessness. It's connected to his righteousness. Nobody has favor with God if they don't have his righteousness. You can't come in and say, oh, look, um, I want your favor, and I've done this, and I've done that. No, no, you have to come with the righteousness of Christ. That's how you find the favor of God. It's how you're identified. Job's another one. Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, He invites Satan into this conversation. It's an amazing story in Job 1. He says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. There's the same terms, blameless. I mean, he has no blame on him, meaning his sins are forgiven. The same term is used of us in in Colossians in chapter 2, that we are blameless and holy before God. Meaning Scott's sins have been paid for, past, present, and sinless. And God looks at me blameless because he judged his son for me and gave me his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? That stuff falls out of my mouth and I still am amazed at it. That God would call me and make me blameless. The Bible says that. But look what happens to Job. Look what the results of being blameless and upright before God. He says, fearing God and turning from evil. So often we got things wrong in, in the church, right? We told people, be good, you know, don't smoke and chew and go with girls who do. Um, you know, show up to church, keep the hair off your ears, wear longer skirts, right? Is there a certain generation of us understand what I'm talking about here? And you were a Christian by what you did. 
Or, or maybe this, by what you didn't do. Maybe that's why you were a Christian. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that saving faith is a gift from God. He imputes the righteousness of his son, and, and it's a product of God's graciousness, right? And that righteousness is declared, meaning I declare Scott, I declare those who have put their faith in me, I declare them to be righteous. So it's both declared and lived. So if I'm declared righteous, shouldn't there be a product from that? So we've got to get it that way instead of the other way. We'll be good and then you'll be righteous. No, no, no. Oh, there's no good in us, the Bible says, right? There's none that, that seek after God. It's God makes us righteous. He grants us saving faith and we become righteous. Psalmist David said this, Psalms chapter 5, verse 12. What an amazing, worshipful psalm, Psalm chapter 5. But in verse 12 he says this, For it is you who bless the righteous man, O Lord. Listen to this. You surround him with favor as with a shield. There's there's both those terms in here, righteous and favor. That's what God does for us. See, there is an imputed righteousness, and it's connected to saving faith. They always come together. If you have saving faith, you've been imputed righteousness. If you have imputed righteousness, that's mean righteousness, that's not yours. God gave you his son's righteousness. He also granted you the ability to believe. They come together. And when we turn to Joseph and Mary and the others, they display this unshakable saving faith, this righteousness, which was a gift to them. And, and no matter whatever people think about them, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter if no one believes what they've said to them, they do not change course. Proverbs says this, 10, Proverbs 10.31 says, the righteous will never be shaken. It doesn't mean we're perfect, right? I always tell people it's direction, not perfection. We're perfect in our standing in Christ, but we're always working on that direction, learning to be sanctified, learning to be set set more apart for the Lord. Now, I want to drive this point home in this couple. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Drop into the Christmas story here, this first Christmas. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before there was any sexual relationship. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I just kind of want to see that conversation, or at least hear it in the replay someday in heaven. How did that go over? Joseph, her husband, now here we come, this statement. Now, how are you going to handle this? This is not going to go over good with anybody. In fact, it could be the death of the woman you love. And so Joseph, her husband, notice verse 19, being a righteous man. Now, now there's that statement. How come he's righteous? He's a sinner like everyone else. It's because God gave him saving faith. And if you don't believe it, look what he does. In fact, he's He's wrestling with this. You can can see his saving faith. You can see his righteousness at work because immediately he wants to protect her. He does not want her disgraced. We know, as I've said many times in the Old Testament, the the law taught she dies, stoned by her own family. Most of the time when they were under captivity, they were not allowed to do that, so they were just pushed into prostitution. 
So what did he do? He tried to plan. He was going to put a plan together where no one would know about it, where he could protect her, where she could have this baby and she wouldn't die for it and she wouldn't be pushed into prostitution. So there was a secret plan he hatched. And as he was thinking, as he was wrestling with all of these things, he fell asleep in verse 20. And then the angel of the Lord came and said, Joseph, son of David, you're in the promised line of the seed of Christ your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your great-great-great-grandfather before him and so on were on the line. And your wife, I don't want you to be afraid to take her because what's in her is not of you. It's supernatural. God, the Holy Spirit, has placed her there. And of course, the story goes on, but let's look at Luke chapter one. What about Mary? This probably happened before this scene. Probably Mary's conversation with Gabriel happens before, um, uh, before Joseph's. But look what she comes through. Here, this young woman, verse 28, coming into her. This is Gabriel in, in verse 26. And, and she's a virgin in verse 27. She's betrothed. She's in this period where they're, where they're not together. They're engaged. They're in a betrothal promise. They're getting their dowries and getting their, their life in order, getting ready. And her name's Mary. It's clear. Mary, you're in the line of Jesus. Your, your father and mother and so forth were in the line of Christ. And notice coming in, he said to her, greetings, and here is our same term we found of Noah, favored one. Favored one. Mary's a sinner because in her prayer, she exalts God as her savior. She exalts Jesus, the coming savior, the coming Messiah as her savior. I need to be saved. So she knows she's a sinner, but here she is favored. Drop down to verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. They're just like the men and women of the Old Testament. God had given them saving faith, and they had righteousness from God, and it gave them strength to do that. Just one other one, just, there's more, but just to pick out one more, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we come to Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Word devout means he's going to hold the line. God had shown him who he was. That changed Simeon. He just now was not a priest of this time that just did his duties and came and went. They, they were really unmeaningful to most of the priests during this time. The religious leaders had just made a mockery of what the Old Testament had taught, but not this man. This man had faith, and he was devout. Well, number two, what about the evidence of saving faith in this Christmas story? Go back to Matthew chapter one. Let's jump back to that scene. In verse 19, again, this righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, has an angel of the Lord come, in verse 20, appear to him, says your wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and gives him all the information he needs to know. Is he going to believe this, or is he not? She's going to bear a son. There's a gender. Yes, gender is extremely important to God. And you shall call his name Jesus. So Joseph, you're going to have to give up your right to name him after you. I already have his name selected. It's Jesus. And here's the reason it's Jesus, because it speaks of his humanity and how he's going to do this, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Joseph, you know the Old Testament. You know Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says that there's a virgin. She's going to be with child and she should bear a son. And you should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here's, here's the evidence of saving faith. Look at this, verse 24. If you think Christianity is say a prayer, walk an aisle, raise a hand, do something like that, you don't know Christianity. Christianity is God claims us for his own. He is now our Lord and master and we serve him till our breath is gone. That's really the definition of Christianity. And look what Joseph does. This man, now everything's online, man. He's gonna lose it all. But he woke from his sleep, verse 24, and I have this circled in my Bible, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, as the word of God, because the angel was bringing the word of God, as the word of God said, and he took Mary as his wife, and that was a lot of trouble. Like probably we don't understand. In verse 25, you want to talk about giving up rights? He kept her a virgin. He gave up his God-ordained right as a husband and father. He gave that all up until she gave birth to his son. He had such saving faith that he did not want to interfere in even the leadest. He didn't want to cause doubt in any way. Mary, I will not have any relationship with you until this child's born. And then we'll start our earthly family from there. But I will not do that because I want to protect the name that can save people from their sins. And he did exactly what God told him. He called his name Jesus. Well, what about Mary? Back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, drop into this scene again. Verse 34-ish. Again, she is told in 30, don't be afraid. You found favor with God, Mary. And and here's what's going to happen. And again, saving faith is taking hold here. She's going to have to believe all this. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Very clear. It's a male and his name, and he will be great, and we will be called the son of the most high. Not the son of Joseph. Not really even your son. He's the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And all the promises of 2 Samuel chapter 7 must have come rushing forward. That's the one who will have a kingdom that will never end. She would have known that. Remember, she had a saving faith and she was righteous and had found the favor of God. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, now look at this. This is not doubt, but this is a young girl with saving faith, wanting clarity. I, I, I love to question the scriptures in a right way. There's times that we see King David and some of the hardest things. God, why have you allowed this to happen? There's nothing wrong with that. If you're willing to hear him and receive what he has. You want to question God with your fist? That's a whole other issue. But you can question God because we're human. And many times I say, God, I, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not omniscient. I, I, I can't see the future. Give me faith. Help me trust you. And I think that's what Mary's doing here. And she says, I, how's this going to happen? I, I'm a virgin. How, how is all this king going to come from me? How is this going to take place? And the angel of the Lord said, the Holy Spirit will come over, will come upon you. 
And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you don't bring even the Trinity, they're all three here in this verse. For that reason, the Holy Child, that's Jesus. So you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Most High, that's the Father. Now the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. There's a Trinity in one verse. And if that isn't enough, Mary, to help you understand and to help you strengthen the saving faith I've given you, even your relative Elizabeth was having a child in her, own, in her old age who said she would never have children. She was barren, and she's already in her sixth month. And look at, look at the response. There's evidence of saving faith. Look at this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord May it be done to me according to your word. Now this statement is marvelous. This is evidence of faith. Uh, behold, there. I'm not sure what your translation, edu is the, is the Greek word. It's a demonstrative part, participle. And when it has an accent on it, it means, listen here, l- let me say this clearly, is what Mary's saying to this angel. I am the bond slave of God. I will do whatever he asks. Oh my goodness. Hey, American Christian, are you a bond slave of God? I mean, it's quite a question, isn't it? She's young. She's a teenager, most likely. I may make this clear, angel. (laughs) And I said, I imagine she said in the most humble way, I'm a bond slave. A bond slave would, after the seven year in Jubilee was coming, they could be freed, but they said, I don't want to be freed. Drive a all through my ear. They would put them on the doorpost and they would drive that all, make a hole in that ear, and it told everybody that that person was committed to life to their master. That's what she's saying. I'll go to my grave serving you. And then this phrase, may it be done to me according to your word. It's abandonment of her, all her ideals. The white picket fence, the three by two house, and the 2.3 kids. She's abandoned that. I mean, in essence, she's saying, this may cost my life. I mean, imagine going, this little girl, this young girl that's going through her mind, what's my mom going to say? What is my dad going to do? But your will, God, your word is what I cling to. See, that's saving faith, isn't it? Go back to Simeon chapter 2. Here this devout priest who is serving, he's righteous and devout. Verse 25, he's been looking for the consolation, the comforter of Israel. This is the, that goes right back to Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord Christ. Till he saw the ruler Messiah. The Holy Spirit had showed him, gave him God's word. Right when it says we spilled to him the Holy Spirit. I know people get all caught up wanting to hear a word from God. It's always tied to the word of God. And we have it in completion now. And so here, even before he had it in complete, he knew the Holy Spirit had told him these things. And notice what he says. Um, and he came into spirit into the, into the temple. So the Lord's driving him. It, it was interesting. It wasn't his day to serve. We don't know. But the spirit drives him to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Christ, the uh, child Jesus, to carry out 
for him the customs of the law of circumcision. Then he took him in his arms. Then, then, then he is, that's, that's Simeon, right? He's now got the baby in his arms. And he says, bless God. And says, now, Lord, now, you will get, you can release your bondservant. He can depart in peace according to what? Your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. See, this is evidence of saving faith. Have you seen Jesus in the word of God? And have you put your faith in him? Do you have a saving faith? Oh, you can depart in peace from this world when God calls you home. It doesn't end with there. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. I, I love these wise men. I taught a whole message. Just, if you miss it, you can go back on the website and catch it. These guys have really caught my attention. They too demonstrate a saving faith in a lot of ways. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 verse 9. Remember, they're looking for this, this king who's been born, and they come to Herod, and Herod has no idea, and then they bring in the religious elite. They have no idea. All they can say, well, you know, Micah 2 says that there's going to be born in Bethlehem. Um, that's all we know. And by the way, none of them go with the Magi, right? But notice in verse 9, after hearing the king who was lying to them and very deceitful. They went their way, and the star which had been seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the Christ was. Now let's see their response. Let's see what saving faith does. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. And they opened up their treasure trove and honored him like a king. That's what they did. And yet, so many people claim to be Christians and me, well, I don't know. Go to church today. Read my Bible. I got so much going on. See, it comes down, is he your Lord or is he just a story? There's a great difference in saving faith. And certainly we know the child was born a king, though, and though he doesn't look like it, but that's what saving faith does. And by human def definition, he doesn't look like a king here, especially when these wise men come in. This Messiah, this holy child, he spends his first night on earth in a feed trough for animals that he created. Doesn't look like a king. But saving faith and imputed righteousness understands that Jesus is not just any king. He doesn't look at the, the surrounding circumstances. They see him as king of kings. And that he's a savior and he's a prophet and he's a priest and he's a king. And that's what all those presents represented. And most of all, he's Lord. And he grants saving faith and righteousness and brings you into the presence of the Almighty. And listen, well, how much they understood of that, I don't know. But they demonstrated saving faith, didn't they? Anna, just turn over the little few more verses there. Anna, she's, if you want to bring in another woman into this scene, she's amazing. Look at verse 36. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Tells you exactly who she was. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband for seven years of, after her marriage. Seven years she got with her husband. And then a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. There's something unique about this woman. I think she has saving faith and she has the righteousness of God. 
And at the moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What a mark of saving faith. Look, if you have a saving faith, it's not you can keep that in. I've received saving faith. I've been declared righteous for all of time so I can stand in the presence of the almighty God forever and I'm not going to tell anybody. What? (laughs) What? Is that saving faith? Here's Anna. She's living in the temple. And she tells all those who will listen to her about the redemption of Jerusalem. Psalms, I love this passage. It's been such a ministering passage to me many, many times. Psalm 73 Verse 25 through 28, just listen to it. Whom have I in heaven but you? I could hear Mary or Anna or Joseph or one of, these, one of these folks in this first Christmas story saying this. Whom have I in heaven but you? Nobody believes me. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I'm willing to give it all up to follow you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. No saving faith. You have destroyed all of those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. I think that's what they're doing here. That's what the shepherds do, right? We didn't even get time to get to them. They, they see this all going in Luke chapter 2, and they're told by these angels, then a heavenly host comes, and then they go, let's go see this. And they went and saw it, and they told Joseph and Mary all that they had heard, and they went back rejoicing. They tell of the works of God. Well, finally, third, let me ask you this question. Have you received the gift of faith and righteousness? This is where this comes really personal. Faith is the only instrument by which we lay hold of the righteousness of Christ. You cannot get it any other way. You can't work for it. You can't pray for it. You can't bend your knees enough for it. It comes through faith in Christ. That's where we gain his righteousness. And so the imputed righteousness of Christ is the grounds for our justification. And it's imputed to us when we trust in Jesus alone and nothing else. That's what they're doing in this story. This is why this is such a powerful story. It's then when the Father declares you righteous in his sight, he enables you to inherit eternal life. You'll never die. This is accomplished entirely apart from any of our works. You see, the, since the fall, religion and, and really the fallen spirit of mankind has always insisted in some combination of faith and works. They still do this. Well, you believe in Jesus, but you do this, this, and this. And that combination will hopefully get you there. You may have to go burn for a little while, but eventually you're going to get there. That's a lie. And it's always been a lie. Salvation comes to us apart from anything we do. We put our faith in God through Jesus Christ with no, no effort on our own. There's no basis 
for anything else within the Bible than to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we must place our faith in something or more appropriate, someone. And in order to believe, we must know something about that someone, who he is. And in such a great description, chapter 2, verse 11, today in the city of David, there's a time and place Jesus came to this earth. There is born for you a savior because you need to be delivered is the idea of the word. So Tyria, there's a deliverer. There's one who can deliver you from your sin. He is Christ. He's the exalted one that has been spoken of in the Old Testament. He's the coming Messiah. And he is the Lord, the shared title with God. Is your faith in that? This comes with a conviction, doesn't it? And that concept of our faith is true. It's, 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 it's what is behind us, what holds it all up. And it's, it's possible, and I think, I, I know this, it's possible to know about Christian faith and yet not believe it's true. Lots of people hold to the Christian faith. I'm walking through the stores this year and, and listening to people singing Christmas songs that are just completely about Christ. And I'm wondering and I'm hoping and praying that they know that true Savior. Or is it just culture? Culture is dangerous. It'll deceive you. True faith pierces through culture. Genuine saving faith says that the content or basis of our faith comes from the Holy Scriptures. And they are absolutely true. And Joseph and Mary believed the word of God and they were declared righteous. No matter what it would cost them. There's some in this room that to follow Jesus is costly. None of your family believe. You may be involved in work or practices that are godless and you shouldn't be doing them. And to follow Jesus means you're going to have to turn from that. Sometimes some have to pay heavy price. Faith is a personal trust. It's a reliance upon Jesus, not on yourself. And knowing and believing just Christian things is not enough. The demons believe that stuff. So faith is only effectual if knowing about and affirming the claims of Jesus does one personally trust in him for salvation alone. It is absolutely necessary. And I want to tell you, listen, if you don't have it, ask for it. God graciously provides through his son alone. He has the ability to awaken your dead soul and breathe life into it. And I've been praying all week that in this service, God would breathe life into someone's dead soul. And they would never be the same after this Christmas. And they would receive this gift of life, this gift of salvation. And you would believe in all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul that salvation comes through faith alone, through Christ alone, and by grace alone in no other way. And this saving faith will lead you to repentance. It'll cause you to acknowledge that in your heart you know you're a sinner. And in your heart you know that you have nothing to offer God. And you're completely dependent upon his supernatural work to take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Meaning, take a heart that can't love him and make it able to love him. That's what salvation is. John Knox said, repentance contains in it the knowledge of sin, sorrow for it, the hatred of it, now listen to this, together with a hope of mercy. <laughs> so you're not just coming, well, oh boy, I don't want to be a sinner because God said I can't go to heaven if I'm still got my sins on me. I just want to get rid of them. No, no, no. You come because there's hope for mercy. You know you're a sinner and you need that mercy of God. 
So in closing, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you have saving faith? Has this knowledge of of Jesus Christ led you to repent of your sins? Do you understand that? Repent. God, here's who I am. Here's here's my heart. It's black. It, It doesn't belong to you. Will you change it? Will you forgive me? Do you know about his sinless life? Do you believe that babe in the manger is is your Lord. He is perfect and sinless. And the work that he did on the cross was the only thing the Father accepts. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is who he says he is and did what he said he did? Do you believe that? Have you trusted in Jesus alone to save you from the wrath of God? These are questions you you have to ask yourself. Take some time. Think about these questions today. Receive the greatest gift ever. Christmas even in the secular world, is about giving. And here's the greatest gift I can ever give you is the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God became a man to make men and women sons and daughters of God. Don't ever forget that. Dads, tell your children that tomorrow. The Son of God came to be, came and took on flesh. He became a man to make you sons and daughters of God. He did this for our good. If you've never believed in Christ today, I ask you, believe today. Tell the Lord. Ask the Lord. Will you help me put my faith in your son? Just ask him that. I promise you, he will answer it. If you're a believer today, and you've been a Christian for some time, ask God to increase your faith. Ask God to increase your faith in his son and in his word. Ask him to do that. Receive the gift today, and if you've already received it, live it. Jesus, we thank you for the manger scene. We've just rehearsed some of the components of it, and we're in awe of it. There's an amazing Savior in that scene, Lord. Uh, The Lord of glory, the creator of all things, is there in that manger, Lord. And there's people who you have deemed righteous. You have granted them righteous. You've granted them saving faith in their humanly doing remarkable things that they would not be able to do in their own flesh. And we're reminded, Lord, of saving faith. So we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the illustrations of a Joseph and a Mary and wise men and the Annas and Simeons and so forth. And we thank you that the same could be written about us if we're saved. We're saved people by the grace of God, and now we live for him. I pray to help us do that in this new year even better. In Jesus' name, amen.